Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode one of Center Stand, the motorcycle industry podcast produced by the Progressive International Motorcycle Shows. You may know it as IMS. My name is Robert Pandia. I've been in this motorcycle industry for longer than some people want me to be in it. But I'm still here. I'm clawing my way to the top. Very happy to uh, be a host of Center Stand and part of the IMS tour. All right. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about what life is like sort of mid-pandemic for the motorcycle industry. And we're going to be talking about electric bicycles, pedal uh, power assist bicycles. So I'm really looking forward to that. And we've seen a surprising bump. Uh, in Q1, and we want to talk about how we're going to maintain that momentum and continue to sell both the motorcycle and the e-bike category. Uh, so we've got two special guests today, really excited to uh, to meet for the first time, a gentleman named, named uh, Bill Miller. He's the global category manager for components with giant bicycles. I assume at some point they give you an entire bicycle every now and then, right? Not just... <laughs> Parts of yeah. It. Robert, I'm sorry. My, my title is actually a program leader for Giant Retail Academy. Well, that, so he just gave himself a promotion. Yeah. Well, I was, I was global category manager for components for almost 10 years at Giant and um, wanted to kind of, as we were talking before the, before the, we started discussing here, wanted to get in a position where I could interact more with retailers and really drive the excitement of cycling at retail after having been in product development for so many years. Well, that's the power of Center Stand Podcast as it forces you up into a new, bigger, and better title right there. So, <laughs> so thanks for being here. And then my other friend is somebody I have known. Um, I've been around this guy for 20 years uh, on and off with the different brands I've worked with. Yeah, it's been quite a run here. He is my friend, owner of Southern California Motorcycles. Uh, which is a big title for a lot of different brands in there. It's Tom Hicks. He's He is joining us. Tom, thanks for being here. Well, Robert, thank you for having me. And actually, we have, have a new uh, a new name at Southern California Motorcycles and E-Bicycles. Yeah, that's right. So we're going to dive into that. Bill, we're going to start out with you here. Give us uh, give us kind of the, the one-minute history lesson on uh, giant bicycles, if you would. Well, for anyone that knows me, one minute is tough, but here, here we go. Giant Bicycles started building bicycles in 1972 and e-bikes in 1999. Uh, the company has a long history as being one of cycling's main catalysts for innovation and change. Uh, Giant introduced lighter, stronger aluminum frames when the rest of the industry was still producing steel. Giant was also the first to um, make carbon fiber bikes widely available to the market. In fact, we... Giant, uh, as a matter of fact, behaves in like a farm. We call it our farm-to-table story. We're vertically integrated. We control the whole process. It really allows us to ensure that we're delivering the highest quality products. Um, we are the only brand to build start to finish. Um, from our raw composite or raw aluminum to Tom's door, uh, we that's Giant. And um, whether it's Giant, Live, or Momentum, all of our brands you know, follow this same theory. So... In marketing speak, that's Giant's USP. You guys are from raw material to finished goods right to the dealer. Unique Correct. in the industry. Right. Okay. Yep. Cool. Uh, and then um, in, in selling, you guys were at the International Motorcycle Shows in Long Beach, and that's where you met Tom. Talk a little bit about being a bike 
and inside the world of motorcycles in that environment. How did you how did you find that environment? Well, at the at the first show, you know, we weren't sure what to think. You know, we've in the cycling industry, you know, we, we do see a lot of crossover between motorcycle and and bicycles. Um, a lot of athletes on the motorcycle side of the world are using bikes to stay fit, to get fit for their track sessions or what have you. So we knew that there was that crossover and two wheels. I mean, two wheels is two wheels. It's a blast no matter what. Um, and at the first show in Long Beach, we were parked right next to Tom's booth there. I'm not exactly sure, Tom, how that all happened, how that all connected, but we just got to talking and it's been a great partnership since. I mean, we were so excited coming out of Long Beach about the impact that that our brands were having uh, or the, even bringing e-bikes to to this different market that we committed to the rest of the uh, the IMS shows last year. And on that subject of commitment, uh, Tom, would you speak a little bit to kind of what you went through and you know and all of a sudden you're next door to a bicycle guy and and what is this all about? Um, well, how I found out about Giant is um, their booth was right next to mine, and I saw Eddie Lawson and Eric Bostrom over there at the booth, and uh, know both of them very well, and I went, what's this all about? Well, uh, ironically enough, uh, I had a heart attack five years ago, and I started riding bicycles to, uh, to, you know, for the cardio and for everything else, and I happened to ride Giant. <laughs> and so... Um, one thing led to another. I decided I wanted to join with Giant. Now, I also did a whole lot of research in the interim before we made the final decision. Sure. And I went with Giant, simply put, because um, I feel they're, they're, they're the best. So we decided to put, uh, with Giant's help, an exclusive Giant electric bicycle store inside of my motorcycle complex. And we're going to get into the retail side of what you're doing with that uh, when we come up in a little bit. But I want to talk um, a little bit more on the bigger, broader trend side. So, Bill, getting back to you, um, obviously, there's a, a ton of freedom in two wheels. And uh, and we we know all that stuff. Right. I mean, we, we almost take it for granted, unfortunately. But, uh, yep. we you know, we know all that stuff. But. Did you guys foresee an uptick in sales? Did that kind of take you by surprise in Q1 this year? Or or is that something that you guys kind of inherently knew, oh, we might be getting more attention? Uh, well, I think Q1 took everybody by surprise this year or the beginning of Q2, you know, with the with this COVID thing. Right. Um, and the the uptick that during the the pandemic has been no, I don't I don't know that we saw that. I don't know that anyone saw that. We have seen e-bike growing uh, in the USA consistently over the last five years. Um, as a matter of fact, it was a, a report, and off the top of my head, I don't recall who did it, but the numbers, oh, as BPSA, the numbers at the end of the day from March 2016 to March, two, or May 2016 to May 2019, over a three-year period, 400% mm -hmm. growth in that category. Yeah. You know, so, so we... We saw that trend and, and, you know, as a bicycle company, a bunch of us are cyclists. And when, when we, when the e-bike started showing up and we started riding them, we were like, oh my God, this is a lot of fun. You know, dropping the whole, well, it's cheating or however, whatever that perspective is, just dropping that and just getting on the e-bike and going out. It's like, wow, you know, this, I've never had so much fun. The, the hills are gone. I can go out and ride for 
longer. I can go out and ride when I'm tired, you know, that sort of stuff. So we, we saw and knew that it was going to definitely take hold. That's for sure. So uh, ironically, the pandemic has kind of given you guys that boost, probably in visibility. And uh, I would suspect that many new e-bike customers are have been off of possibly off a bicycle for a while yeah. and are like, oh, wow, this is like this gives me Superman's legs, you know, for the for the duration of the battery here. Those people end up being sort of catalysts within their own community. So are you seeing on the bicycle side, are you seeing where that sort of pocket of growth is happening uh, and then expanding from that? You mean organically from yeah. E to acoustic like that? Yeah. Um, yeah. There's definitely a growth. It's so hard since the pandemic hit because, I mean, when you look at, I think it was um, NBDA reported that sales in March were up something to the tune of 80%. And then in April, it was to the tune of 90%. And then in May, it was 140%. This is, that's growth that I don't think, you know, not only did we not expect, but then it's it's a little too soon to make a correlation between at least from my standpoint, between the growth in e-bikes during the pandemic and how that relates to acoustic, if that makes so, sense. Right. So do you do you see that there are currently completely different markets between an analog uh, uh, traditional bicycle and the e-bike, or is there a blurring on the bicycle side of things? It, it's becoming a blurring. Mm. Two, three years ago, it was it was very cut and dry. Well, if you're on an e-bike, you're cheating, you know, right. and, and, and the e-bikers didn't really care about, about acoustic cyclists, we'll say. But, um, at this point, you know, I'm starting to see a lot more blurring. Uh, when Tom brought up, uh, Eric Bostrom, for example, great example, Eric is an incredibly fit athlete and he's an incredibly fast acoustic rider, mm -hmm. but he still goes out and uses his e-bike to train when he's tired or when he has limited time or what have you. So we're starting to see a lot more of that crossover. So Tom, to bring you back into this conversation here, talk a little bit about the crossover you're seeing from motorcyclists to um, e-bicycle riders. Well, simply put, Robert, we're getting older. And uh, the average age of, uh, we keep track of all that, the average age of our customers over all these years is about 45 years old. And it's getting a little bit older, marginally, but a little bit older all the time. And fr frankly put, these things work so brilliantly for mm -hmm. anyone wanting some exercise that's not in Eric's shape. Yeah. And uh, I've proved it myself uh, on setting one, my rain uh, electric giant has gives me the same amount of exercise and input and heart rate and everything as my giant Rome, which is my regular pedal bike. That's on setting one. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, you have five settings. <laughs> right. So, uh, back with your question, um, I'm seeing that the people that have, uh, uh, that have those limitations are looking very uh, positively at the electric bike because of the power assist. Yeah. So that's interesting. I, I wonder as we, you know, someday a pandemic will be in the past, right? It's been a while since we brought up the swine flu, for instance, right? right. So, I mean, we're gonna we're gonna move on. We're gonna be smart, and and the world's gonna get. Right. But do you guys? Maybe Bill, you can answer this first. But do you guys see an opportunity for motorcycles and bicycles 
to be in the same space, not just at a retail level, but uh, at, at, for instance, maybe a trade show or a major event or uh, uh, like a rally, if you know, if you want to call it something like that. Um, do you see any synergies there or, or major stumbling blocks? Bill, I'll start with you. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, when, when things come back, you know, I, I'm not sure what our plans are with IMS, but it was a big success this last year. I would imagine we will continue to be involved somehow in terms of events you know we we not only partner with uh eddie and and eric but we also partner with the the nitro circus guys mm. right and so they're guys and girls pardon me and they're out there before their events or as part of their event on rainies or some some giant or live e-mountain bike doing just stuff that i never even thought you could do on a bicycle Mm -hmm. So, you know, that, I think that, that is going to continue because, and it almost has to, because that's how we can work together, the two industries to both grow and have a bigger impact with the, within our markets. You know what I mean? If, if we're just bikes and we just keep focusing on bikes and motors, motorcycles keep focusing on motorcycles, how's that going to help us all grow? You know, at the end of the day, as we were talking earlier, it's two wheels and two wheels are a blast. And to Tom's point. Maybe you can't get out and ride a motorcycle every single day, you know? So having a bike, an e-bike that you can hop on from your house, get some good exercise, get that feeling of being out, the wind in your hair and that sort of thing. It, it just makes too much sense to not try to continue to work together. Tom, what do you think of that idea of combining e-bicycles and, and motorcycles into uh, singular type events or an outdoor event? Well, uh, I must think a lot about it because that's exactly what I've done. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, with, uh, with Giant's help, we spent a lot of money and a lot of effort. And frankly, it's working so well that I'm talking with Giant right now about expansion. Mm. I, I want to go larger. You know what I mean? Um, it's two wheels. And if you got a situation where you can't ride your motorcycle, hell, you jump on your bicycle. It's two wheels. You have a blast. And there's, of course, side benefits to being on a bicycle. You're getting a little exercise, too. Yeah, yeah. So do you, would you see that? I mean, I, I know you get it at the retail level, Tom, but um, if there was an uh, event in Mount Shasta that, that mixed, you know, Royal Enfield and, and giant bicycles, is, I mean, is that something that you could see happening in the future, or are we too far away from that yet? No, absolutely. Okay. Very simply put, because it's discovery. Yeah. These mm -hmm. people riding the motorcycles, it's not even on, bicycles aren't even on their radar. Yeah. And all of a sudden they go, wait a minute, you mean I could ride up that hill, which I could never do anyway, on that bicycle and have fun doing it? Yeah. Oh, sign me up. Yeah. yeah. And also, kind of to your point earlier, Tom, the, your, your average customer is 45 years old. A lot of people that age have kids, right? And you, yeah, kid, you can't throw on a motorcycle very easily, I would imagine. Right. So an event like that would be, in my estimation, would take a motorcycle event from something like Sturgis, which I've not attended any of these, but from something like Sturgis, <laughs> which I've read about, and you know, it's a pretty heavy-duty motorcycle thing, and open it up to more people that can bring their families, can bring their kids, can make a weekend out of it, that sort of thing. It, it's a little bit like mountain biking was in, their, in the 90s, mm -hmm. where we would go racing 
because it was a great excuse to go camping. Is that, you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. And I think there's a, there's a really good opportunity for, for events that commingle the two. Well, Bill, I tell you what, I am packing up to go to Sturgis. It'll be about my 12th year in a row going there. Nice. You, you have an appropriate goatee for Sturgis, so you'll fit in there. Okay. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and I think you would be stunned at, at the, um, at, at what you would get out of that. I really yeah. think so. You know, so I think, uh, largely we're seeing a lot of demographics going into younger audiences in new compelling ways. And there are, believe it or not, it doesn't just look like a, you know, like a ZZ top roadie convention over there anymore. <laughs> I mean, that old stereotype has, has gone away. Uh, um, there's definitely that element, which is a lot of fun. That's the core of what it all is, but there's a youthful spirit that's coming in. So we're definitely seeing that uh, well, on good. the bicycle side. And I want to talk about a, a significant component of that. Tom, I know that that you have always seen female riders as a, a unique, you know, opportunity within motorcycling. Uh, but Giant has a, a specific line for female riders, and and uh, in the motorcycle industry, I, I would say sometimes we just lean on oh, shrink it and pink it, and uh, but Giant's approach has been different. Tell us a little bit about how you guys are attracting more female riders. Well, very simply, Giant has their finger on the pulse of what's going on with the with the women's market. The, mm -hmm. the live bikes, they're wonderful. They they do, you know, uh, when someone comes into our dealership, we have we have everything uh, that Giant offers in the electric range, uh, range, and we, we show them everything. And the live range is perfect. Everything from its advertising to the uh, to the way the bikes are put together and everything are attra uh, uh, an attraction for women and they lean towards it and uh, I'm all over it and in the motorcycle world you're right uh, but the thing is in all my history in the motorcycle world if you made something for a woman in the motorcycle world they didn't want it oh no 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 I don't want that mm -hmm. right? mm, so that's interesting I think it's, I think it's a little bit different how to put it in words, I don't know, but it's a little bit different in the motorcycle industry as far as the women are concerned. That, that's interesting. I think that's going to be interesting to watch how that plays out in the future because we've definitely seen an uptick in, in uh, female uh, ridership. Uh, exactly. And yeah, and, uh, and, and Bill, that's, that's something that's, that's a core to the point of down to engineering with you guys, right? Correct. Yeah, the, the Live brand... Live Cycling is our women's cycling brand. And what there's a lot of things that really make it unique. It, we certainly do not take a shrink it and pink it approach. There are other companies, other brands in the bicycle industry that do. Great, that's their plan. But our, our plan with Live is we step back and we look at every aspect of it. If you think of cycling, cycling to motorcycling, don't take this the wrong way. Motorcycling is a little bit, more passive of a activity than cycling cycling you're you're moving your legs you're pedaling your legs around 90 rpm you go up for a couple hours that's 10,000 times your legs have done gone up and down mm -hmm. so it's very important that we look at the structure of the woman and where they're getting their power from uh and how it relates to the bicycle design the geometry of it that sort of thing because one of our overarching themes is to deliver the ultimate in efficiency and if we've got a frame designed for a woman 
that takes advantage of how they use power, that's a more efficient system. So that's just one aspect of, of the approach that we take with Live. Live is 100% women, the design team, all women, engineering, all women, management, commercial, everything, all women. Mm-hmm. It's 100% women, well, maybe 98%. There's probably a couple dudes thrown in there somewhere. But uh, at the end of the day, it's I'm just blown away with what we've done, what what how well Live has, has grown over the past, uh, what was it, 2008 when we started with it. And... Um, the approach that they're taking. It's okay. expensive. It's hard to do. I mean, think about it. We're, we're essentially doing two product ranges, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's a commitment because we see women that want to be in the sport that need to be in the sport and we want to give them the best experience possible. And that's what live does. I think that there are some lessons to be learned on the motorcycle side of the business in, in, in watching that. And uh, um, it's not just a matter of uh, women who just want to be badass or, you know, or, or those ter- it's, it, you know, there's there's a, a world of opportunity out there that I think we could be a lot better in. So um, that was I wanna... one of the top things I got feedback on at IMS was wow, yeah. you, women specific bikes. Wow. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. So I think uh, maybe we just have been doing it wrong, Tom. There's an opportunity. I think there's some. Maybe we could learn a few lessons here and change some stuff around. So, uh, Tom, you've got a unique dealership, right? So you've got uh, a variety of brands. You've been a Ducati dealer for a long time. A tri- you're uh, uh, number one Ducati dealer many times. Number one Triumph dealer uh, ever in the states, and uh, and and all those records. Royal Enfield is a brand. Suzuki is a brand of yours, and of course. Giant, and they're all in standalone stores. So there's there's a unique experience that you have compared to the rows of uh, headlights and handlebars in, in perhaps what we would consider a traditional big box store. Um, talk to us a little bit about um, leaning more on power sports, not just on Giant. Talk about what, what it is, that commitment to the brand. What does that give you? Well, you're you're touching on what's made me who at this dealership what it is today mm-hmm. it's about the enthusiast i'm old school i still believe that people love their brand they want to stick with their brand they want to wear the colors of their brand they want to so the worst thing in the world is let's say you love ducati motorcycles and you go to your, this new ducati dealer and you trip over 15 Triumph 17 Hondas and BMWs to find your beloved Ducatis stuffed in the back of the store with about six bikes and about four T-shirts. No. Right. Right. Yeah, no. My, every one of my stores, including and especially my giant store, is if you are a giant enthusiast and you walk through those doors, I expect your knees to get weak and I expect you to think, wow, I never need to go anywhere else again. Right. And I treat every one of my brands exactly the same way. So after um, after our, our our Q2 bump, um, are there any surprises coming out of what's been selling, Tom? You know, on the motorcycle side, is it all of a sudden like has a category of motorcycles sort of jumped up at you, or is it like aggregated overall gains? No, it's aggregated overall. So we were very fortunate that we were considered an essential business when this started. And uh, I went down to half staff, of course, because of everything. But then we went back to full staff and um, 
it's a fascinating time. Mm-hmm. Talking about how the tie-in with bicycles is we started out with the electric bicycles and actually we're doing quite well now. Um, but we're getting so much response for the analog bo- uh, bicycles, the regular pedal bicycles, that um, I fully intend to go completely and, and build an entire motor, uh, bicycle dealership inside of my motorcycle franchise. I see. All right. And then um, talk to me a little bit about um, uh, Royal Enfield as an emergent brand uh, in you know, within the mix of the bikes that you have here, can you can you speak a little bit? You know, they've had a significant well, yeah. product Royal, change and everything. Royal Enfield is a wonderful bike, and their product and their price point and their heritage makes it such an appealing motorcycle. The biggest mm-hmm. problem is we're nothing to uh, Royal Enfield as far as their uh, distributorship. They sell a million Royal Enfields a year in India. What do they sell? A few thousand in the United States. So our biggest problem is getting more of them. Mm. Uh, I would I would take two containers of them right today if I could. Wow. So you I think it's uh, it's it's uh, availability, but it's also some uh, is it visibility on the marketplace? You know, uh, with that brand or uh, how no. how are you? What are you doing to uh, uh, kind of uh, grow that? Well, of course, from my dealership standpoint, we have our social media and all of the advertising outlooks. And we used to, of course, before all of this, do a lot of outside events and showing the bikes. At, uh, but um, Roy Enfield themselves, they do a little bit of advertising. But frankly, if anything, word of mouth, the Royal Enfield, they find us. The they customer. do. Yeah. I think it's it's amazing to think about, like this is the world of manufacture and technology, but it's amazing to think about. You probably have some giant bicycles that are considerably more expensive than the Royal Enfield motorcycles. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I sell them. Yeah, yeah. It's just amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it talk about, it's it's just a, the world of products available to us the, right now is just absolutely stunning, isn't it? The challenge I, I, I think we have here in, in combining these things is some of that mentality of, of the delta and the difference. And I think the thing that strikes me about this is we have a lot of people who are coming new into motorcycling in the same period as they're coming new into electric bicycles. So there's a really compelling uh, parallel uptick that's happening here. As we get towards wrapping up the interview here, uh, Tom, I'll give you the mic first, but what do you see is the best thing? To, I'll, I'll give you this. Okay, Tom, I know you would love this opportunity. If I took all the motorcycle dealers in America and I jammed them into one conference room and I gave you a microphone, sir, and I said, you have three sentences to tell these guys what to do for the future. What would you say to all the, every dealer in America? Well, knowing dealer the dealer network as I do very simply, it's commitment to the brand and don't forget about the customer's emotional level. People aren't buying these things to go to the liquor store and back. Mm-hmm. They are buying them again. They're again for the Giants. Giants, not your, your cheap, but, uh, you know, uh, bicycle. No, they're the best bicycles you can buy. Just like the Ducati is the best Italian bikes you can buy. And the Triumphs, the same thing. You've got to understand the dealer network. If they're going to do anything, understand why that person's coming in your door and then feed it. All right, Bill, same question to you. What do we do? Uh, 
Tom nailed it. <laughs> that was brilliant. <laughs> He's 100% right. You know, um, I guess in, in one sentence, the e-bike is a great tool for the motorcycle industry to consider as complimentary because it's fun, it's affordable, and it gets people, you know, it can get the whole family out on, on two wheels. Um, in terms of uh, retailers, considering what we're living with today, plan, plan and prepare, you know, just make sure that you you're ahead of the game and that you've got your, your stuff in order and that sort of stuff, because that's really what it's going to come down to supply is, as Tom alluded to earlier is, uh, is the issue of the day today. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so really plan and prepare. Don't forget who your customer is. I think that that was brilliant. There's a reason that your customer came to see you. Uh, just like there's a reason that someone came to see someone goes to see Tom every day. You know, it they're coming to see you for an experience. In and as the retailer can help that customer meet that imagined experience. They're walking into the shop, whether it's buying a motorcycle or an e-bike, they've got in their mind, they've got an aspiration of they see themselves on a bike. So um, training and elevating your retail staff's ability to communicate with the customer and to pull from them what that is makes it a, will make it a lot easier to meet that demand, to meet that aspiration. And I think when that happens, that's the win. Yep. That's it. I think you guys have, uh, have summarized the opportunity, um, certainly in the, in the e-bicycle market um, really well and spoken to that commitment. My final thought on this as we're wrapping things up is the, uh, the opportunity, particularly in urban markets, for national level motorcycling and national level bicycling organizations to work together to make um, urban markets more two-wheel friendly, all those weird little parking spots and, mm -hmm. and reach, recharge stations and, and things like that. Um, I think that there's a great opportunity for us to actually all get together and, and work on that and actually elevate two wheels for everybody. So I, I would, I would agree a hundred percent. You know, we, we look and we see that in the next, what, 15 years, something upwards of 70% of the world's population is going to be living in urban areas, right? Mm -hmm. Cars, you can't make enough roads to fit that many cars, right? And the problem with public transportation is it doesn't take you door to door. A motorcycle and an e-bike will take you door to door efficiently, effectively. And, and I'm with you, uh, Robert building that infrastructure to get us there, it will be the winning move for all of us. Well, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be a bike lane in Elon Musk's tunnel underneath uh, LA. I'm sure that that's going <laughs> to work out just fine. I want to thank our two guests. Uh, pleasure meeting you. Uh, there is a Bill Miller barbecue in Texas, which I'm sure you understand oh, yeah. that, Bill. So I'm going to place a to-go order for some some meat soon uh, after this conversation, Bill. Thank you very much, Tom. Uh, make sure you visit his amazing dealership, Southern California uh, Motorcycles. You might even get to visit with uh, Tazzy, Beetlejuice, and Tater Tot, right? The three, uh, the three dogs down there. For all our listeners, uh, we've got an upcoming e-newsletter that you can sign up for. Please sign up for that new newsletter at continuetheride.com. Uh, our next episode, we're going to be discussing how to tap into market adjacencies, finding new audiences. And if you're listening to the podcast, 
uh, from a business level and wondering what we are doing on the consumer level, make sure you listen to the Sam Bendals hosting a great podcast called Reserve Tank that's aimed more at consumers and riders. Once again, gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us here on the Center Stand podcast. 